Hello and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group that misses each other oh so much. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Robinson. This week, I'm so happy to be joined by the keeper of the flame, the rules lawyer himself, Alfred Darlington. Alfred, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Maddie. It's really nice to uh, to be speaking with you and nice to be back on the pod. Um, I'm sure like most uh, deeply bur- burrowed into games of late, deeply furrowed brows, burrowed into games, abdicating all the rest of the world around us as it burns, as it all burns. <laughs> and just that was so poetic. On my and, oh, thanks. That was beautiful. And I loved all the alliteration <laughs> that happened there. Today, we are going to be reviewing the uh, 2019 release, I believe, unless I'm mistaken. I'm pretty 2019, sure it's 2019. 2019. 2019. Marco Polo. Part two, in the service of the con. Yeah, the, the fresh sequel, newness. Yeah, right. The fresh newness, the beautiful sequel to the beautiful Marco Polo. Uh, and our topic today, which was uh, lovingly brought to us by Alfred, and I'm so happy to be talking about this, is how to host a game night. Uh, tips to be a host and tips to be an attendee mm-hmm. at a game night. We're going to talk about that because, uh, well... That's as close as we get to enjoying game nights is fantasizing about them and critiquing each other. We're going to have the game night LARP, right? The game night LARP where we act like we're actually going to a game night and we can start thinking about it and can put on our character voice. If we were Tom, we could could be a whole different... But Alfred, Alfred and I have, all, have had a very fun discussions over the years on what makes a good game night and uh, how, how to help facilitate that. And I think I think we'll have a, a fun discussion about that as well. And uh, tips that you can remember for the next time that you uh, have a game night, or maybe you're lucky enough to live in a very incredible country like New Zealand and you can enjoy game nights today. Who knows? Or do responsible gaming like Jennifer. Jennifer already mentioned That's they right. have like a pod of gamers that a have all bubble been tested. Yeah. Absolutely. If, if you're lucky enough to have a safe bubble of gaming, God bless you. And I'm jealous. Um, how have you been lately, Alfred? How's the last few months been for you? I mean, extraordinary. Uh, things have not stopped in education. So I moved out to Boston a while ago. I, I'm, I've talked about this in the pod before. I moved out to Boston to go teach at the Berkeley College of Music and uh, had an an incredible time. My students are so understanding and they're all cast around the world now. As you may know, when things went went severe and south um a lot of a lot of different uh people into the country had to to go back to nations of origin or their last place of egress and um and figure things out which is a lot for anyone to 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 go through but then especially someone who's college age who's just figuring out their life um especially in artists or young aspiring artists so i i've been it's been extraordinary to work with these students but um this is a new semester and everyone's doing a great job. We're getting towards midterms, like all this stuff that I never thought I would ever be visiting again in life. I am now teaching and feeling very much uh, through, you know, through by proxy, I'm experiencing all over again, this kind of the jitters about a performance and the the kind of thoughts and feelings that happen. Cause I went to school for music. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but sure. and I, I didn't have a great experience. Like I didn't like it. So I never thought I would be here doing that. What, what part of it did you not like? Uh, you know, for, for me, there was a part that like jazz was this wild, amazing thing. And to study, it felt like, oh, I was going to be in like the halls of the ancients learning the scrolls <laughs> kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I got there and they just taught me a bunch of scales and were like, figure it out. And I was like, what is like, this isn't, this is like the magic. 
it, it actually sucked the magic out of the bones <laughs> and spat out the carcass. And, uh, and so I did about three years of that. And then I shifted over to general music and I just got through and got the piece of paper, but, um, it, it didn't, it, you know, I didn't do jazz kind of for my, my creative, creative career. I kind of switched over to electronic music where I, I did find a lot of that magic and eventually learned kind of jazz without it being so formalized in academia and really, really didn't have enjoyed that, have been part of that. But well, how lucky for your students that they had a teacher, that they have a teacher who had that experience as a student and is now focused on making sure their students do not have that experience. Mm-hmm. How lucky for them. I, I appreciate that. And I do think Berkeley is a, a really awesome institution that has been ahead of the curve on a lot of instances. So that's, it's been fun. And, but Boston's also super weird and it's autumn again. And autumn means changing of leaves and all these things I have no idea about because of being in LA all my life. So it's like, <laughs> sure. It's, these like fireworks that keep on going off, but they're actually just trees that are glorious and like golden. It's nice. You, you and I are the LA natives on the podcast. Some of the LA natives on the podcast and, and you and I have actually known each other longer than anybody than I've known anybody else on the podcast. We, while we were not close or friends in high school, we we ran in the same world. Yeah. And super grateful that you indeed, I don't, I don't know what the connected issue was. I assume it was a mirror that made like me uh, be part of these game nights, but you were definitely my, my game guru, the person who inducted me into the inner secret society of game. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Super appreciate that. And yeah, the, the, the people you've introduced me to our game group have now still are the people who I esteem so much. I know. It's so crazy that, yeah, this little board game has like made my whole world of friends now. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, are you, you're not doing any in-person teaching yet? Are you, is it all virtual? Yeah, Everything's virtual. Everything's zoom. I'm super zoomed out. Grateful. We're not doing this over zoom right now. You would see me glazed (laughs) over and like slack jawed. Other than the fact that zoom has these settings that make you like, kind of like increase your appearance, like some weird stat. So, um, yeah. What is, what is, isn't there a phrase for it? Zoom, zoom fatigue. Is that what they're calling it? I mean, something, something like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I definitely, I see it in the students mostly where they're like, they're eating breakfast. They're like still in bed. They're, you know, like they've gotten over it. And then the rest of us are right. still trying to be professional about it. But. Have people, some people have just gotten a little too familiar, a little too casual. On oh, it. I, I have this one student where I've like distinctly seen their boyfriend still in their bed, like just chilling naked. <laughs> and it's like, you can't, you can't do that. Like it's just, it still is school. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. You just see people just like pull out a giant three foot bong and like just in the background, a hundred percent in the, they're watching, they're, they're like playing call of duty. I mean, it's music school. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. and people are for, they're like, you know, they're, they're making do, they're making it work, but there's definitely even actually, it's even worse. The students have moved back in with their parents and the parents who are like probably supportive of their overall, but like not seated the space, like not ready for a student to be back in their life. And so they're like talking in the background, like you know, making <laughs> plans and like, this 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 kid is trying desperately to like hear the pitches and do a good job and like oh man you know, my heart goes out to him so big but yeah and how about you this week it's been good well i mean the my week has been centered on uh my uh my movie love and monsters uh coming out uh love and monsters is a uh, paramount film uh, that I am one of the uh, two credited writers on. I spent about two years of my life working on this movie. Um, I'm very proud of it. I think it came out really great. Um, I've been really happy with all of the great reviews we've been getting. I was told this morning that it is currently the number one movie on iTunes and Amazon, which is what? Amazing. That's huge. And uh, people are so desperate yeah. for content right now. This is like maybe 
you know, obviously not the not the time that you envisioned when you were spending those two years doing that. But like, no, well, this was supposed to. This was a theatrical release set for last May. It was supposed wow. to come out about seven months ago, five six months ago, uh, in the theaters. It was it opened in probably twenty five hundred screens, hmm. and instead, it uh, is in about four hundred screens right now. But it is in everybody's living room, mm-hmm. um, and I'm glad they chose that because the other option was nobody sees it for a year, maybe two years. I mean, like nobody knows because by the time movie theaters open back up, there's going to be such a log jam of big movies that are waiting because nobody wants to, I mean, you know, they pushed Dune until 2021. So it's no, nobody late 2021. So like nobody wants to dump their movie right now and have it die in the theaters. So when movie theaters finally open up, you're going to be hit with a, a deluge of AAA blockbusters, the likes of which you've never seen, yeah. and a uh, you know a medium budget, uh, more niche uh, genre picture like Love and Monsters could easily get very lost in the mix. So they see it as an opportunity to, you know, be a big fish in a small pond instead of a small fish in a big pond. And, and I think they made the right choice, and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it works out financially for everybody. Well, I know I'm seeing it this weekend. I have. Uh, All right. Rent well, let me know yeah. what you think. Absolutely. Um, Super exciting. Yeah. And uh, if anybody likes, I mean, I, I love monster movies. They Monster movies and horror movies, science fiction, all genre pictures were my first love as a child. And, and uh, this is uh, an original, mm-hmm. not based on a graphic novel, not based on an, another IP, not a sequel, a brand new original science fiction, post-apocalyptic monster movie. And I am very chuffed about it, as they say on the other side of the pond. <laughs> awesome. Congratulations. That's incredible. And to think that it's not part of an existing IP is it's impossible. It's like it barely happens in our board gaming niche, much less the wider world. So that's incredible. And I really hope enough people see it so that I can write a sequel because I love the universe we created and uh, we are already have cool plans for a sequel. So make it a hit so I can go write a sequel for it. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, shall we uh, move on to this week's game night? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Game night. Alfred, what have you been playing this week? Uh, I think I have been playing half of the active games on bga i have played <laughs> half the half the games that are going on bga i've been part of in some regard uh i just got my you are th- you are the most active bga player i think we have you 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 helped form our uh our, our guild i don't know if they call it that our our game brain group on bga yeah. if you if you if you want to be a member of said group on board game arena which is what the acronym bga stands for on our facebook group there's a pinned uh, notice where you can uh, drop your username in there and Alfred will add you to the group. But yeah, tell, tell us all about what's happening on BGA this week. Alfred. Well, and that's part of the storyline too, is I love the fact that, you know, for the first time, so I play a ton there. I got my thousand victory uh, experience bump. Um, I'm sorry, what? I've gotten a thousand victories now on BGA. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you get, you have, have one, you have won 1,000 games? Well, this this the caveat the 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 asterisk next to the victory is that I I played a lot of Connect Four for a little while I was like <laughs> what? So Connect Four what? on BGA became like you know it's like a quick fix like you know you're getting these games like I would lose plenty but I would win a lot 
Paul makes fun of me a lot for it. And, and are so, you serious? Yeah. So I, that's that a real probably, thing. Yeah. It's probably like half of those victories are, are Connect Four. I, I, I mean, hey, I, I am proud that's of the fact amazing. that I'm okay at Connect Four. I'm like okay at it. I, I you know, not not ranked, not Wait, number. Are we going to be reviewing Connect Four soon? <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing: is I, I so Paul very nicely pivoted me away from Connect Four to Santorini, which is kind of a Connect Four. It's kind of like quick, <sighs> quick fix. And so now, it's an I, you know, yeah. it's an abstract. And, you know, at first I was really intimidated by it. But then I, you know, as as we played a little bit, especially me and Paul, it, it, it became really clear that it was, it, you know, it had some of the same features, even if even if uh, the asymmetrical powers. So a, a lot of those victories are there. But I will say that Friends of the Pod, um, Smokescreen is there a lot, right? So Smokescreen 87, I think, uh, not to leave any names, but he they are there a ton um gaming as well in bga but then also we now are started to do some uh, some some turn-based games uh using the people from the from the game group so anyone that's joined oh, feel free to, to, to uh i'm, I'm going to butcher these names but men Nalar, that's that's their <laughs> that's their handle and the group uh dory brund i need coffee so we we have people now that are we're playing we're gaming we're doing this uh, from the group perspective, so you all know uh, our meta already. So feel free to join us and uh, let's let's play Clans of Caledonia. Let's play let's play uh, Marco Polo two. Let's play you know Santorini. Let's do whatever as a as a group. And that's what I've been indeed doing a ton of no uh, no game night elsewhere, but a lot of that Paul as well. Um, co-host paul bga is like your it's like your video game console and you know what i'll say too oh gosh i'd love it sometimes better than game night i miss the camaraderie i miss the snacks i will we'll get into it but i love the rules lawyering it it's so tidy there's no worrying about somebody taking like five turns there is no rules lawyering right you you get to just completely turn that that part of yourself off yeah and, and I will say as much as I, you know, it's like being a rules lawyer is part of me. We talked about in the very first time I was on this podcast, like it, it's something I've had to come to terms with and, and kind of try to let go of some of the nastier aspects, but kind of embrace the other things. Um, I, I don't, I'm not like a big fan of it. I'm not like a huge fan of watching out and feeling in my nerves. Um, I like this kind of effortless just game. And I've noticed that I'm becoming a different gamer because of it. Do you think you're becoming a better gamer? Um, I mean, probably, I mean, I probably, yeah, just cause of reps probably, yeah. <laughs> but, but also, but, but a hundred percent, I feel much more conscientious and, and this is a bad trade. I've noticed I've been much more pushy, Matt. Mm, like when people take it in what way, time, you mean you like know, aggressive? No, no. Well, a little bit of that because of Santorini. Definitely. Paul's, Paul's been teaching me a lot of bad things. Paul's an evil influence at times uh, in terms of that, but, but, but without you know with, without that i just when people take too long uh, the the ap thing drives me up the wall Ooh. but i think part of that's because i know there's gonna be another game around the corner and and that's not necessarily a good habit right like that's not a good thing to be like ah this game's over i'm just gonna play however and just like hand the victory over to the person who's clearly got it like i'm, I'm avoiding that but it's it's i can tell it's something in there um yeah, the, the reps is an interesting thing in games because we get so few of them in game night. We're lucky to, I mean, like, you know, most games in my collection, I'm lucky to play more than five times. I was amazed when you said that Jennifer played 18XX or when Jennifer is self-identified as playing like 200 times or something. I just like, mm. 
how is that like someone who's who's such a, a like a figurehead of that and how i mean like it seemed like few to me and yet at the same time like i know 18x is a huge commitment and that's yeah an incredible yeah, depth of knowledge there but like it's it still seems like not as much as i would have expected right i mean you've played connect four that many times today <laughs> so that's how many times i mean now we're going to review it and get way into it but how many times do you think you played marco polo 2 by now Oh gosh, like 50, 50 or 60. That's incredible. Oh, that's, it that's, pales in comparison to Russian railroads. I kept on going on that. Like I've now yeah, played yeah, over a hundred. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow, man. What, uh, so what, what's been like, is there anything that that's new to BGA that you, that you're hyped on or anything that you've been sort of diving into more than, than others recently? Well, I mean, I've been re- I've been getting back into Clans of Caldonia because it's such a uh, an incredible game that I don't feel like, even though I know we reviewed it in the podcast, I just don't feel like it gets enough breath of being like kind of like open ended. Like it's really a choose your own adventure, not too much asym- asymmetry, even though obviously that factors in. But yeah, Marco Polo Two has been really featured on you know both because we're reviewing it, but also because I really think that's we'll get in, yeah we'll talk about it in a second, but it's it's a well, huge I- step up for me. It's like amazing. Yeah. I I really want to play more with you guys on BGA. I need to, I need to make some more time for that. I'd really like you to teach me Lagranha. That's a game I've been dying to play. That game's amazing there too. I want to play city. The big shoulders has an activation on BGA. I also, I did get one play in of a great Western trail on a different platform. I don't remember off the top of my head, but there, there are other platforms popping up. It's not just tabletopia or. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Wow. You'll have to tell us all about those. Yeah. I mean, there's so many great games when I look at BGA. I mean, Zolkin and, mm-hmm. and Nippon and Madeira. Like, I mean, but we're missing a lot of the things that we like on our top 10. It doesn't have that much going. It's, yeah. you know, and, and, and a game like I'd never but played Barrage. Was just not on here. Right. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, isn't Barrage on here or no? No, no, it's not. I've never played no. it yet. I still have been dying to. It sounds like my absolute Oh, my gosh. Tweet right. Out. Yeah, you haven't. I wow. moved right before it kind of became the game on everyone's mind around the table. So I, I feel like, I well, you, that. you deserve that somebody needs, I, maybe I need to teach you that this week. Then that, that's oh. really, you would, you would, I mean, I think you would absolutely adore it. Yeah. Well, what about you? Um, yeah. So obviously uh, we played some Marco Polo too a bit. That's been on my mind a lot. Um, I got uh, a game called super skill pinball for Cade, which is a pinball themed roll and write, which normally uh, wouldn't uh, grab my attention at all, except for the fact that it is uh, designed by Jeff Engelstein, who I think is a fantastic uh, designer, as well as sort of the um, the professor of game design. He's written all these great books on game design. I mean, he, he knows his stuff. So when he puts a game out, I always take a look at it. Um, and this happens to be kind of like my two main hobbies. I mean, although pinball is quite a distant second, but I, I do love me some pinball. I, I, I've owned many a table throughout my life. I, uh, currently am down to just one right now, but that's actually cause I had to make room for some, um, some gym equipment in my <laughs> office recently. Uh, funny choices you have to make in COVID. Um, but yeah, I, I was in a pinball league for years. I, I've, I've played a lot of tournament pinball. I love pinball. And uh, what's kind of amazing is this totally captures the feeling of pinball like this which you know you think roll and write it's going to be light and silly and and it, it is it is a simple game but it's it really captures 
sort of the strategies of pinball and like it there's four, so it comes with four different tables so to speak um and they're all sort of your classic you know there's one that's clearly based on tron there's one that's clearly based on funhouse one that's sort of a black knight and then there's sort of like a disco 70s one that i, I can't really find a good uh parable for but um but this is clearly designed by somebody who loves pinball and, and knows sort of the tropes but you know you can enter into multi-ball at certain points and you can get you know uh different uh bonuses it, it, it has all the rollovers and the bumpers and it really sort of captures like the, one of the things that people i think often don't realize about pinball is there's actually quite a bit of strategy to them and and one of the biggest similarities to pinball uh and to our board gaming hobby is that there are very complicated rule sets mm-hmm. so you can walk up and just you know you know plunge a couple balls and have some fun but you could also go to like Pinside, which is the board game geek of the pinball world and read an 80 page pdf that tells you the rules behind everything you're doing in the game and i used to love like memorizing these giant tomes of of pinball rules, which are, you know, really complicated, like how to enter into different modes and how to trigger the different multi-balls and how to get, you know, the two X's and the three X's and the four X's and, and all the things you have to like, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you want to go deep, the, the rabbit hole will, will, will allow you to go as deep as you want to go. So, and this captures that it really get, it gets a lot of it. It's, I, I really recommend it. It's uh, really nicely designed as well because it's a uh, dry erase Mm-hmm. So you're not having to like, it's not paper that you're, you know, you're going to run out of a pad of them after you play it a hundred times. Um, it just feels really cool and smart and uh, yeah, plays great solo, obviously as any sort of roll and write would. What an awesome um, way to discover that genre too of roll and write from this kind of perspective, rather than totally. I think a lot of us dipped our toes in back in the day with obviously not exactly the roll and write genre, but that thing of like, you know, that there was a book about being a samurai and you had stats, you kind of kept track of your hit points so different than a roll and write, but still that like choose your own adventure, but kind of yeah. multiply it a little bit. I just remember that from a very young age, there was these like little entries into that. It always totally. was intriguing, but maybe not not fulfilling because they felt a little bit too deterministic or that you would do it once and kind of see that would be it. But this, this seems awesome. No, I found it kind of addictive too. Like I, I find myself sitting and writing and I'll be like, mm, I kind of want to take a pinball break. And usually that means to literally turn on one of my pinball tables and play a couple games. But this has been, I've been sort of just playing the role and write and it doesn't, it's so <laughs> funny how it actually feels like I'm playing pinball. It's really weird. Uh, but yeah, I highly recommend if you're interested in roller rights or pinball, like quickly go and spend your, I think it's $25 and buy this game on Amazon or wherever you get your games or don't buy it on Amazon if you have an option not to. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I've been doing. Let's jump into the news. A couple Kickstarter uh, announcements up at the top here. Uh, I know I spoke about Darkest Dungeon, one of my favorite video games of all time. They are coming out with a board game. I am still a little on the fence about this one. I'm going to back it. Uh, because I love the property so much, but I'm not a huge fan of the developer Mythic Games. I haven't really liked the games they have played. Um, I I don't want to speak uh, uh, without properly knowing enough about them, but my initial uh, impression of what I have played or the rule books I have read is that the games feel a little underbaked and a little overproduced. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm hoping that this one will be uh, perfectly baked. 
but the Kickstarter goes live on October 20th. That was announced. By the time you hear this, uh, you will be a couple days away, uh, if not a day away, from this thing going live on Kickstarter. If it's interested, if it's interesting to you, check it out on the 20th. Another uh, interesting Kickstarter, Spielbox. Spielbox is uh, sort of the industry magazine for our hobby. Um, and one of the reasons that they sell so well is that every issue of Spielbox that ships usually comes with a handful of exclusive promos, and they're usually for pretty good games. Um, so this usually sells very well, but they have taken to Kickstarter for the last two years to kickstart your subscription instead of having a normal sort of magazine subscription. Um, I imagine, uh, you know, it is a survival uh, necessity for them at this point as a, a print magazine in the world. But uh, the Spielbox uh, 2021 subscription is on Kickstarter right now. Spielbox is spelled S-P-I-E-L-B-O-X. You are also able to buy all seven issues from last year as well with all the promos involved. Um, the promos are for really big games. I mean, you know, a lot of people love their promos. They have promos for the crew and for Architects of the West Kingdom and uh uh, terraforming Mars. Um, so anyway, check that out if you're interested. It's also a great magazine for our industry. And, um, you know, magazines uh, sort of have a different necessity at this point when we get all of our news immediately on BoardGameGeek and uh, other places these days. But it is nice to have a physical thing to read. Uh, and there are always great interviews with designers and publishers. Uh, so yeah, that is the Spielbox uh, Kickstarter. There are 26 days left to go on that for the 2021 subscription. Can I just say though, really quick, that even though I totally appreciate where you're coming from, I, uh, in doing a little research for the review for this week for Marco Polo 2, I, I was on BGG and doing, you know, like looking through forums for information and it was such noise. A lot of people just asking for rules, designations. I mean, everyone's being relatively polite. Nobody's taking anything too to task or asking too big questions, but the signal to noise ratio was huge. And I just felt like I was, yeah, I was like kind of drowning and just in, in, in not interesting information. <laughs> and I would just imagine that a, a magazine like this could be, you know, keep it, keep us like focused in on point. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. No, anytime a new game comes out, the page for it on board game geek, uh, inevitably becomes a year long slog of the same rules questions being asked by people yeah. who are a little bit too lazy to spend three seconds and see if the question they've already asked has been asked. And it usually has. Especially um, when the, like the actual rules for this game are so good. Like that's well-written. It seems very spelled out, even though there's a lot of exceptions there. There's like not much need for errata if you just like read the thing. But like you said, it's not like, yeah, maybe people just want the quick fix. Yeah. Um, Moving on to uh, some non-Kickstarter news. Uh, there are two new decks for wonderful Uwe Rosenberg games coming out soon. Agricola has a new deck coming out called the Dulcinaria deck, which contains 120 new occupations and minor improvements. This is for the revised edition of Agricola. There were a million deck boxes that had been released for the previous version, but we, we, we've we only gotten a couple so far for the new revised edition, and it is always nice to have new cards for Agricola. But more exciting to me is the second deck expansion for Noosefjord, a game that I think is criminally underrated in Uva's catalog, um, and maybe my second or third favorite Uva game of all time. Uh, but this is the Salmon deck. They already had the Place deck, P-L-A-I-C-E, another fish, uh, which I have, which is fantastic, which just gives more 
uh, cards into the game. This has another 44 cards, but I think there is a, a good amount of solo uh, cards in here as well. And they're also strangely adding 25 metal coins to replace the non-metal coins from the base game, which is an interesting thing to add in a deck of cards, but sure. Who doesn't like metal coins? But yeah, those are coming out uh, sometime before the end of the year if they're not out already. Um, and of course, we are all very excited for Uva's new game based on beer. I forget the name of it right now. It starts with an H. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that uh, Holler Tau, yeah. We're still waiting for news of when we can get that in America. Um, I think it's by the end of the year, but there are no pre-orders available yet that I have found anywhere. And trust me, I have been looking. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Slickburn, the uh, pioneer, a host of our podcast, has a Twitch stream that I think uh, anyone who listens to our podcast would be very interested in hearing. Uh, it is twitch.tv backslash Mayvina, which is M-A-Y-V is in Victor, E-E-N-A, Mayvina. Uh she uh, she wrote a post on Facebook that I'll read here. In my last segment, I talked about video games that could appeal to Euro gamers, and one of them was Factory Town. Uh, Jennifer streamed Factory Town last week, um, and she said that she'll be describing some things within the game that could be relevant to board gamers. You won't be asked to subscribe to the channel, as I'm a spotty streamer at best. And of course, there won't be any ads generated by me. Hope you can make it. Uh, I think she's definitely worth a follow on Twitch if you enjoy watching people play board games on Twitch as... Uh, sorry, video games on Twitch. She is always going to be playing uh, board game related video games as that, of course, is her uh, her passion. So she's definitely worth a follow and I think you will very much enjoy watching her on Twitch. Um, lastly, uh, almost lastly, Fantasy Flight, Fantasy Flight Games has announced a share a play and share campaign which i think which is uh i read it and i laughed uh and not a happy laugh uh, this is an attempt for them they want you to uh give a hashtag on social media called ffg play and share wherein you tell stories of times you've played board games because we're all missing playing board games with each other. I'm not really sure uh-huh. what the marketing purpose of this was, but I love that they sent out a press release saying that they're launching the play and share campaign, which I thought was going to be some gaming thing. And it's literally just them asking people to use a hashtag and share stories about their favorite board gaming stories online. Okay. I don't know. You, know, you could always just start a podcast instead. Just read it. I was like, what is the purpose of, okay. All right, cool. Sounds good. Hmm. Uh, there is a new uh, expansion. Speaking of FFG to a, an underrated board game that I think uh, deserves more attention. They did a version, uh, a new version of Sid Meier civilization a couple of years ago, which I played and actually thoroughly enjoyed. I thought it was a really good, uh, sort of 3x uh uh civ game and 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 sort of it based on uh the latest civ civ 6 uh and it was fun and cool and and but one thing i remember playing was like oh this could use an expansion it felt a little it felt like an expansion was held out of the base game and now an expansion is coming it is called terra incognita um i don't believe they have announced a release date for it yet but i I was just glad to hear that this game which i don't think was a very big hit and 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 in fact can be purchased for a really 
really reasonable price. I've seen it for 20 bucks on Amazon before. So, and it's a big box game with a lot of stuff in there. So might be worth checking out if you are looking for a light to medium, let's say medium weight civilization game. That's, that's a lot better than, um, than you would imagine. Um, finally, uh, uh, the uh, gold, uh, sorry, not the uh, golden elephant award, which is uh, the uh, heavy cardboard year end awards for 2019. Uh, the winner was announced this week. I will read you the uh, nominees Barrage, Bios Origin, second edition, City of the Big Shoulders, Pax Pamir, second edition, Pax Transhumanity. And Pipeline were all the games that were nominated for 2019. And I had a Twitter discussion with Edward, the host of uh, Heavy Cardboard. And I was commenting on what an incredible list of games that is. And just how amazing a year 2019 was for heavy board games. Uh, But it seems like that's where it's all moving towards, right? That's like the weight. BGG is going up and right. The people like liking these games more. Those those games are ranking higher and higher, right? Isn't that the? I mean, I think the the hobby's ex- expanding, and as it expands and expands in all directions, I think there are more players looking for light games, medium games, and heavy games now than there ever have been. So mm-hmm. hopefully, there's more of a market for everything. But um, out of that list, what do you think won? I will tell you, but I was uh, wondering what you think won the 2019 Golden Elephant Award. And this is heavy cardboard saying this, right? Heavy cardboard. They have they have a panel of judges. It's not it's not like a People's Choice Award. It's uh it's them and their 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 friends and their trusted reviewers. Yeah, I know they have like they have a certain they have a certain like aspect to which they like. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they said City of the Big Shoulders, but I know how much we love Barrage. So I'm gonna say Barrage just because you know, although again, never played it, but it looks so incredible. I, I wanna say Barrage, uh, but I bet yeah. they had the same selection as me. For the best game of 2019, they selected Pax Pamir second edition. Um, But there is not a bad game on the list. I I commented to Edward and I said, there's not a game on that list I would rate below an eight. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, those are all. And some I I would say Pax 2E and Barrage are maybe tens. Yeah. Like, you know, but I, I, I love every single game on that list and I've played the heck out of all of them. So great, great list. And uh, yeah, nice for pax premiere 2e2 and if you want to watch they had a great video where they had cole worley the designer on and they discussed it and they gave him his award and uh you can find that on heavy cardboard's youtube channel um that's all the news for this week let's move into games on the brain What's on your board game arena brain, Alfred? <laughs> exactly. Um, a lot of that and a lot of the implementation that you're seeing of games that I've been missing. So I've been, the games that there are available there that are kind of in the sweet spot of things that I already kind of know, I don't feel too intimidated about. I've been playing a ton of, but anything that, that isn't present, I've been feel I've been missing. So I've got that one game of Great Western Trail in, and it's just like, oh gosh, this game is so good. Like why, you know, I, I just need to like, I need to diversify my diet of where I'm at digitally because I'm so BGA. But that being said, the game that's been on my brain has been Santorini partially because I totally overlooked it in the past. It was such like a quick filler kind of 
like it just didn't it didn't sit with our group and therefore it didn't really we played it a bit we you know i remember when it first player games aren't really you know feasible at our game night well but there was always that moment where there was like okay well everyone wants to play this four-player game there's six of us what are we going to do are we going to go home are we going to stick around and like so i I remember sometimes games would get broken out like that and it would be fun it'd be really interesting in that case and santorini is something i should have taken more of a look at but specifically i've been thinking a lot about asymmetrical powers in games and Santorini is like the king of that because if you're playing with the expansion on BGA, there's so many more gods than I remember. There's so many more powers. And there's even like one-offs that are maybe from expansions that you didn't have or that, you know, people, the, the game night didn't have things that are only like that happen once in the game. And just the very nature of asymmetry in these games where we're kind of constantly seeking balance, or at least especially me as like rules lawyer kind of wants fair and even and, and how that's kind of blown out and, to lean into the asymmetry and we'll talk about this more with Marco Polo too, but it's kind of beautiful. And I've been really, I've been kind of craving it. I've been loving it. How like every game is so different. And it's, it was especially with Santorini, like there's uh, the hundred different gods. I really do feel like I'm playing a hundred different games. And so it's keeping it fresh for me. It's been well, on my brain a lot. That's really interesting because I, that's something that I definitely was concerned about when I went, you know, in my handful of reps of Santorini, the physical version was like, I wonder how balanced this is. And I'm sure you've gotten quite a bit of reps in it. Now, how, how do you feel about the balance? Can you be dealt a couple of gods that uh, are undefeatable or vice versa, impossible to win with against, you know, certain gods? Yeah, it can feel pretty inevitable that it's going to be uh, a really tough slog if you get something really uneven, especially if you have like a very ability god versus a kind of movement based or somebody who has more of an esoteric power that only happens occasionally, like edge cases, um, or somebody that you can kind of really plan for. But that being said, you're done in 10 minutes. You're on to the next, you know, as long as you keep it, right. as long as it is a tournament style where you're always seeing the same gods appear again and again. Um, that's one of the way one of the ways that the tournament style shows up in BGA. I'm sure there's lots of different tournament rules, tournament rules. But that being said, it there is that little moment where you can, you know, it's it's less about these like really like, oh, this is totally blown out, and more when you just don't see how how asymmetrical it is. Some some powers just seem wildly strong. There's this is one character, Poseidon, can build up to four times in a round. Right. Like right. their move can be four builds. And it's just like, how do you possibly defeat that? And then it becomes a whole different game of like, well, maybe this is the boss battle. And you've been training this whole time to like figure out how to undo this person who is, you know, doesn't deserve these great powers thrust upon them. It's a so little it different balance, but it might be solved by playing a best of three or a best of five or something. Right. Yeah, or just kind of taking it like like maybe a little bit more of like the the inverse rather than thinking of it like a uh this kind of board game to play, but think of it like a video game where, you know, you, you want to have these challenges. You want to have these puzzles that are maybe impossible, but if you play it kind of perfect, and I know you have, I know you dig that kind of game as well, where you could like, there is like a, there's kind of a perfect way of, of dealing with the challenge and, and doing, and doing the best with the hand you've been dealt. And I, you know, that there is a, there is a box to be ticked from that one too. All right. Well, you're going to have to beat me up on it for a while so I can get my rep back in. Uh, <laughs> On my brain this week uh, is uh, Tawantin Suyu, which I am dying to play, which is getting delivered to me tomorrow. And I'm very excited to dive into the solo mode of it um, as my way of learning the game and also enjoying it. Because David Turtsy, the designer, uh, is also one of the best uh, Automa designers of them all. And I've heard the solo mode for Tawantin Suyu is fantastic. Um, I really uh, enjoyed uh, the solo mode 
for um, oh geez, why am I blanking on the name right now? What was the other the other T game? Uh, Tekenyu. Uh, the solo mode for Tekenyu was fantastic, and I, I've heard uh, Tawatensuyu solo mode is even more involved and interesting. Um, so my brain is clamoring for that. Uh, the other thing my brain is excited about is uh, I set up my Too Many Bones Trove chest in the last two weeks, <laughs> which is a giant box uh, that has no purpose other than to store your Too Many Bones collection. And I will post some pictures of it on the Facebook group, but I posted some pictures of it empty, but I'll post it with everything full because I own everything that could possibly uh, exist for Too Many Bones. And it is the most ridiculous and incredible thing I've ever seen. Just the organization for it and the beautiful drawers that are pulled out with a magnet. And I mean, just the amount it's, it's almost absurd. The level of thought uh, and care that went into such a shockingly unnecessary object, (laughs) but, Mm -hmm. but, but one that just adds so much joy to one of my favorite games and, and, you know, maybe my favorite solo game. So it's, uh, for me, it's a boon because it means I'll play it more often and it's so much easier to just go boom, 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 pull this, pull this out. And it's just like, it's all right there. You know, there is a whole subcategory of YouTube video where you just watch somebody solve a puzzle. It's like an ASMR kind of thing. And you watch them uh-huh. like do these puzzle boxes and things. And I'm just oh, saying, sure. you no, have a secondary. Great. there you go. Yeah, they're great. You have a secondary whole thing of of a board game but also like the sweet spot of like of dealing with all the kind of stresses that are going on of just setting up and tearing down a game of too many bones i think for you know what i think there should be an entire asmr channel of setting up and Mm -hmm. putting back in the box board games We'll get you a, a really high power mic, lots of gain. Every little like you know, every time you put down one of those chits, you yeah. can hear like the little like satisfying click of it. You're yeah, gonna, yeah. Up to I mean, like to me, there is something very meditative about like the more comp, like a setting up a really crazy complicated Vidal Lacerda game, like setting up on Mars or something, takes like thirty minutes and is like super meditative to me. I wonder if I wonder if watching it would be meditative. Probably just be boring, but. I mean, there's only two ways to find out. <laughs> two ways. <laughs> to do it or not to do it. Uh, uh, but yeah, other than that, uh, I'm still hoping that I get Bonfire sometime in the next month or two as I'm super excited to play Bonfire. I, I adore it. And unlike Dimitri and Tom in their episode last week where they said that they thought it was uh, they didn't like the artwork, I couldn't be more in love with the look of the game. And I'm just dying to see it in front of me um, and play it. Uh, it just looks like everything I want out of the game. Um, anything, uh, any update on the eight by eight challenge? Nothing on my end. Alfred, have you, have you ticked any yeah, boxes for us? We did week? tick a box, even though I don't know if this is now weeks old, because this was a, a handful of weeks ago, Ben, myself and, uh, elder, we played roads and boats. Oh yeah. No, I think we did talk about that, but that okay, is definitely yeah. a great box tick. It felt, it felt significant at the time, especially we played a map that wasn't too fighty and we kind of all missed the fightiness of it in the end. Cause we were like right. we were oh, yeah. little single pale solitaire kind of vibes. It, we, I, I won, but in the most like, not like running a lap around the thing kind of way. So, um, no earthquakes during it. 
no, no earthquakes, no, like barely any, any friction at all. So I would love to, I'd love to dip into that game more and, and tick more boxes on that for that precise reason that it exists on, on it's, it is such a great game and it deserves to be on our eight by eight. We deserve to have an eight by eight. I am an ardent fan of, of that, that system. And I can't wait for us to be in the same place, same time so that we can tick more boxes. Shall we move on to our review of the week? Yeah. This is 2019's Marco Polo 2 in the service of the con. Uh, one of the only times that I can ever imagine a board game getting a sequel, a numerical sequel nonetheless, Marco Polo 2 in the service of the con. The designers are, I mean, look, if you listen to this podcast, these guys get a standing O. Simone Luciani and Daniel Tashini. If you don't know who they are, then... Just go listen to something else. Simone Luciani <laughs> designed Zulkin, Grand Austria Hotel, Voyages of Marco Polo, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, Frickin' Barrage, and Newton. And Daniel Tashini, I think he's my father, but he also designed Zulkin, Teotihuacan, Trismegistus, Marco Polo 2. I mean, these gentlemen are gods. That's all I have to say. Top of the pops. Top of the pops. Marco Polo 2 is a two to four player game that plays in 60 to 120 minutes. I would just erase the 60 and leave it at about 120. It has a BGG rating of 3.28, which is, it sounds about right. Uh, the description from the publisher, the journeys of Marco Polo continue in Marco Polo 2, an epic follow-up to the voyages of Marco Polo. After traveling to Beijing, your travels now take you back to the West in the service of the Khan, sending you to the farthest reaches of his empire in search of wealth and fame. Marco Polo 2 is a standalone game based on the voyages of Marco Polo, and you don't need the original game to play this one. This new journey will present unique challenges with new and different actions, new scoring rules, and a new good, rare, and valuable Chinese jade. Retread old paths and re with renewed purpose, or find new ones as you explore farther west, continuing to build the immortal legacy of Marco Polo. This comes to you from Hans am Gluck, uh, publisher and uh, Z-Man Games in the States. Alfred, tell us a little bit about Marco Polo 2 from a player's perspective. Well, and it's worth mentioning the artist too, Dennis Lohausen. Oh, geez. Thank you so much. I absolutely forgot to do Just that. I love we, the art of this game. Yeah, we love the world that they created. The you know Everything about this it really uh, sings a song to me. But what I will say is it really, it, it, it totally takes maybe where Marco Polo 1 has achieved this incredible game of, of dice placement. And worker moving and and blown it up into a into a, a wholly original IP in my mind. Just like it 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 takes the bones and then does something completely different. So I don't think it's totally worth comparing the two, even though it's inevitable that we will. We can probably do it in the summation towards the end. But just the the the, the basics are so refined, and it's such a much more even keel game. So the 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 whole gameplay is you basically roll some dice. They have a certain numbers. Those pips get placed around the board giving you uh, between six different resources. Those resources are uh, the aforementioned Jade, which is the is a brand new uh, kind of wild card that counts for either camels or money. And those are the, those are other two basic um, basic resources and then goods resources that are in the form of spices, silk, and gold. And between those six, you are doing a, a whole manner of set collection in terms of shields 
and also uh, achieved contracts. You were also getting victory points from those contracts. You were also uh, getting smattering of, of kind of, of other dice that you can work with. So basically, you know, worker placement, this kind of characteristic idea of putting your workers and having them uh, account for an action. This is dice that then you move your characters around the board. There's asymmetrical powers. There is uh, tons of individual kind of placement on the board of different city powers. It's all this collection, this mishmash of purpose that uh, creates the the Marco Polo universe, the, the cinematic universe of Marco Polo. Um, so same similarities, but then wildly achieves it differently because of both the um, change of, of kind of, of IP, the little addition of, of additional resources. And then finally, that beautiful thing that Marco Polo does of uh, original one did of like, you know, once somebody's their dice is placed, you have to pay the like the super painful price to either play the occasional time you can play on top of that with your own die and, and pay money to do so or you're boxed out, you don't get the spot, you didn't get there in time, you didn't make your choice in the, in the fastest, uh, the kind of expedience that you should have, and therefore you will, your dreams are dashed, your hopes are, are curbed, and uh, you have to go somewhere else. So that's a perfect <laughs> summation, but let's, let's, now that we have two Marco Polo games, now that we have a, a Marco Polo universe, as you called it, let's discuss what makes a Marco Polo game, because now, now we can, we can really say what a Marco Polo game is. So Marco Polo, it's a worker placement game, classic worker placement game, but without blocking. Instead, if you're not the first one there, as Alfred just says, you have to pay a cost and the some, cost some is limited blocking. Is right. Limited very, blocking. Yeah. Yes, there are some places only one person can go to. Correct. Um, but for the most part, most action spaces, uh, anyone go to, it's just the first person gets to go there for free and everybody else has to pay a gold cost uh, equal to the uh, lowest numbered die pip of a die they placed. And your workers are dice. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you roll your dice at the beginning of the round, those are the numbers you have to work with. And then there are ways of playing with those dice a little bit. You can spend camels. That's one of the main resources in this game to re-roll the die or flip it to its opposite side. You can even buy more dice. There are these black dice that are in both games that you can buy for three camels at the beginning of your turn. The other hallmarks of a Marco Polo game are map movement. So there is a big map that we're moving around. Um, And why are we moving around on this map? Well, to drop our uh, pagodas at specific locations along the map, thus giving you access to new worker spaces that, uh, like we said, uh, are exclusive. Those are the places that usually only one person can go to. It also gives you access to uh, income. Uh, Certain places have income tiles on them that you get every round. Uh, And they also uh, will be potentially fulfilling um, a, a secret objective that you have. Both games have a secret objective card dealt to you that will reward you points for dropping your pagodas at specific locations along the map. Um, Outside of that, there is also uh, uh, fulfilling contracts, which is a big part of both games. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's pretty much it in terms of the, oh, and then of course. Asymmetrical powers. They both feature wildly. Exactly. When I think of a Marco Polo game, what stands out to me is shockingly asymmetrical powers asymmetrical powers that as tom i think as thomas said in the past it's his favorite game to teach because you teach the rules and then you watch people's jaws drop as you explain all of the asymmetrical powers because each one sounds so ridiculously broken that you can't imagine it doesn't just automatically win the game and then you hear the next one and you have the same thought 
and on and on. At least in the first game, that was the case where they're all so like, for example, one of the person's power was, remember how I said, if you're not the first person to a place, you have to pay money. One of the people's powers was you don't, you can just go anywhere. I mean, and that's, you know, crazy. Another person's power was you don't have to pay for movement. I mean, just like crazy, just basically a whole section of the game. You don't have to worry about that. Everybody else does. Um, and uh, Marco Polo 2 carries on that tradition. They all feel very strong, but I think they are a little less jaw-dropping mm-hmm. than the first one. And I don't necessarily think that is a bad thing. Alfred, what do you think about the asymmetrical powers, which I think are the draw to the Marco Polo universe for your average <laughs> uh, Euro player? I mean, I think it, 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 it induces a huge amount of variability. So there is a certain aspect of the first game where, indeed, it felt kind of manifest. Like, the the you know, it didn't matter if you were first or last, if you had certain powers, you were just going to be in a, in a position to do very well, be very competitive. And you could look at statistics. Actually, Trey has very nicely pointed this out in the past. In Marco Polo 1, there was just inordinate victories given to certain of the characters. And you, you basically have to play against that character the entire time. You'd have to do everything you could to either be in the place that they couldn't go uh, subsequently or or kind of move to the place that they wouldn't benefit from immediately so you would really play against the the kind of ace powers the, the big powers now it does feel tempered there are definitely a uh, lots of controversies going on about the spread of victories given to certain characters some some characters seem weaker but i will say that because of the distribution of the board state it matters so much now like in marco polo one again quite famously you didn't really have to move to win there was a whole strategy where you could stay put and do very well for yourself. Fulfilling contracts, yeah. And that was partially because the way you would place on the board, uh, on, on the kind of the dice area of the board, meant that you would, yeah, both fulfilling contracts and also just like boxing people out. It was like very, it was, yeah, it could be very punitive. Now you need to move and that movement matters so much. Like if you were deciding in the beginning of the game, just based on what how cool the power sounds and how well it's done, you were going to totally fall on your face when that power doesn't completely synergize with the board state. Of course, this means that when you pick the character and the board is is working with you, nothing can stop you. You are running rings around other people, but usually it's more nuanced than that. And usually very easily assessing the board, you can see, well, this character doesn't pay for movement, but if I just go to the spaces that give them, that would have given them boosts before they get there, I can box them out and make it so it's like they're going to totally fall apart. So the asymmetries do feel less sharp. But you, you still need to be very cognizant of the board state. And I like that. I like that you can see the total game uh, come into focus. It's it's not just the powers. It's not just the cards that give you victory points at the end because there is a set collection aspect of this game. And we can get into that in a second. But then there's also the individual powers are moving around and you kind of expect some of the powers to show up at different places at different times. And that alone is, is yeah, much more interesting to me than Marco Polo 1. I think that's really well said. So to me in the first game you knew how strong your character was going to be right off the bat by its power. And I think the board state could only shift it so much. To me, there are still characters that can be stronger than others in Marco Polo 2, 
but only because of a certain board state layout that has happened during setup, which I think is really interesting. So some of the characters, if you're just looking at them in a vacuum outside of the game, you can think that's not super strong. It's, it's okay. But there are there is often a, a game setup where the right actions come out at the right locations on the map that all of a sudden make that person fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, or ones that you read and you go, well, that's crazy strong. If they don't get the right actions set up in, in, in the right places on the board at the, during the setup of the game, that character becomes actually much less powerful. And I think that makes every game very interesting and, and does a good job of uh, balancing the, the turn order with that. Because obviously the person who goes last is going to take the, the strongest, you, you know, and you, you, uh, you select your characters in reverse player order. Um, and I think it does a good job of balancing it, but it also doesn't mean that it's just like, oh, well, this character is always first pick. I think it, it's totally dependent on the cards and the setup of the game and, and that sort of decide who becomes powerful that game and who doesn't. So I'm just going to quickly run down the seven powers that are initially on BGA. I don't know if this has been expanded. It's obviously a 2019 game. It's 2020. There are no, there are no extra characters. No extra characters. No, so there, you you technically can play with all the characters from Marco Polo One, including the mm. two expansions, the extra character only expansion, and then the big box expansion Venice. Um, wow! But yeah, they 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 do say that that can get wonky, and they they aren't always they're not they're not balanced necessarily for the game. And I think that's really interesting because like. I do feel like they tempered it nicely with these seven different characters that are now available in the current edition, but I can only imagine how crazy complicated, especially because there's a lot of characters that now give you powers in Jade. Jade is this whole new resource. It is absolutely necessary to move around the board. It is super necessary to deal with the guilds, which we'll get into in a second in terms of like, you're constantly trying to get this Jade resource to unlock all kinds of synergies around the board. And so, with those old powers having nothing to do with it. Sure. Like on the surface, like being able to set a die value might be really valuable, but with nothing touching Jade, well, maybe that actually wouldn't do as well. Um, But really quick, here's the seven characters totally messing up their names completely. Okay. Uh, Gantuluga Ode. Totally wrong. I'm saying that completely wrong. That is the free unrestricted movement character. Uh, Malin and Tain Chin. And this is the twins, kind of similar to the twins from Marco Polo 1, but twin movement characters. Uh, Abha Basu is the Jade Specialist. Isabella Donati is the Resource Salad character. Uh, Filippo Vitello it's the bonus taking. Um, it's the, yeah, like kind of, I don't know. It just takes other people's bonuses. Yeah, exactly. And Montag Khan ignores Oasis, Oasai, and uh, Dewu, who is the guild specialist. That's mm-hmm. the, the very quickest way of talking about these characters. Again, butchering their names. It's all very clearly marked. I mean, I will say that the game does a very good job of spelling out the game space. I adore that when the game, I mean, there's individual uh, kind of boards that you're you're able to deal in and like look on very easily to see where everyone's at. But much more importantly, so much is happening on the board. You can really, even though it's a lot of things going on, it's it's clearly laid out. The artwork is very excellent about this. And just the kind of iconography is is easy enough to understand the color coding and everything. And I th- I think generally speaking, there's color coding and patterning, I think, to to demark different kinds of spaces. So it's well done. Yeah, I, I think a good uh anecdote that shows uh 
sort of the the inherent balance in this game is that in this in in, in my second game we played and, and you and you guys had played a lot more games than I had at this point and you had sort of created a meta a little bit. Um, we were all drafting characters at the beginning and I chose third. And the whole time I'm looking at this one character and being like, oh, that's that one is broken. That one is definitely <laughs> I'm never getting that one. And it went all the way around and it came to me and it was still there. And I was like, and, and everybody was like, sorry, dude, you got stuck with that one. And I'm like, what? That's what you morons. Why didn't you take that? <laughs> it was just this funny thing of like, we all had different ideas of what the broken character was. And I will say I went on and won that game. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, I still was like, I, I, I liked that. I was glad that we all we all chose somebody that when we were all going like, hey, 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 I've got you now. Like we all, we all felt like we were like destined to win. <laughs> So I will say, so the order to which I introduce the characters is the current, like what's on BGG of kind of what the actual strength of the characters are. Right. Supposedly I mean, yeah. one that I won with first as, as and, and, and I do think that, uh, again, Tolga odd is the strongest one it, there. There's again, there's certain boards, there's certain arrangements where, you know, and, and it's so much has to do with who picks first, who's going first that moves around who actually, and this is another aspect of the kind of Marco Polo, kind of space that the, the last person to go um, on the movement category. So the last person to place dice in the movement spaces will, um, will go first in the next round. And this is slightly amended in the current, the current uh, Marco Polo two, because they have different grades of movement. There's now three different uh, gradients of movement that you can enact. And so if you put down three dice, you were almost guaranteed to go first in the next round, unless someone else is crazy enough to put down three dice. Um, so little things like that totally change the dynamic. And we could have played against you more effectively. We could have thwarted you better. Um, guaranteed. But I you know. think that um, it was an assessment of my intelligence and you guys just assumed uh, you didn't have to worry about me. <laughs> you know, but, okay. So, so we can start to talk about criticisms. I mean, I think first and foremost, this isn't even a criticism. There is a bit of solitaire in this game. There is a bit of your machinations, your plans. They live on your board space I think there is an aspect that you can go relatively unimpeded uh, because you're placing on board spaces that nobody else has anything or your particular interests. Like there's one character who's really a contract specialist. They, every time they get a contract, they get a jade. Every time they get a jade, they get a point. Like it, it becomes this whole thing where they're, they're after contracts. They still have to move around, but they're not a movement specialist. They're not like out of their way to do all the moving possible. And so maybe they're kind of swimming in different oceans a little bit, you know? Yeah, I can see that. And so in certain player counts as well, like that character I mentioned that Filippo Vitello seen as being very weak in a two player game because they take other bonuses that people have achieved. So if you are trying to play that character in a two player game and you're just not getting all the the momentary or the temporary city bonuses, you're not going to do your thing. You need to be in a four player game with that character and then you can sing that character can do really well one of the one of the positives is that you're never stuck with a character in this game because there there's always they're always dealt out one more than there are a number of players right so you never have to take a character you can feel reduced down though especially like you're looking at the board there's no bonus movement let's say and so that again uh got to uh, og ode um needs that really wants some bonus movement somewhere because otherwise you maybe could only be moving twice in a turn. And okay. So one of the huge things of this game is, is unlike the first Marco Polo where you contracts were King and you would move around basically to get more access to contracts or more resources for contracts. This game movement becomes its whole own kind of game as you were placing 
pagodas, if you get to that mythical place of placing all your 11 pagodas, you were doing a set collection of shields having to do with individual spaces and cities that have different um, kind of iconography that that kind of gives you uh, this different form of point salad. So you're getting 20 points for placing all your pagodas and you're getting all your, your hidden uh, kind of victory condition points. So this huge degree where you're getting like 35, 45, 50 extra points at the end of the game, suddenly putting you way over the top. I mean, Games here range from like 80 to 150 points, I think is generally the space things, probably better players getting better. But I've seen that kind of range going on where you're, you're, you can win at 80, you can win at 150, but it's somewhere in that range that you're like taking it. So you can imagine how big 50 extra points is. It's like enormous. Yeah. And, and that set collection is really, really fun because it forces movement. That is, mm-hmm. I think, one of the, the main ways they got well, to get contracts too. You can't get contracts right. now just by sitting still. That's right. You can't just all, yeah. A lot of the all the good contracts in the game are from uh, having pagodas at locations where there are contracts, and that allows you the right to go to a space where you can then uh, draft those contracts. Um, but yeah, having to move around the board uh, in order to get the shields, um, uh, in order to you know make those sets is really interesting. The shields is a separate thing. That's so the the shields is really interesting. So that's. There's this this thing where you can spend two dice um, and take a shield. Uh, are they called shields? No, those are guilds. guilds. Those are guilds. Now there is a shield in the guilds too. It's a little bit murky, but no, totally. And and one of the characters, one of the asymmetrical powers, is only about the guilds. But yeah, two dice and you get a little bit of jade, but it's mostly about the guild powers. And that not only frees up certain lanes of movement. Think of them as like rivers that you need to get a special like license for, and that license is controlled by a certain guild. Now, this is not a Pax Premier game. It's not a huge amount of storyline. I've heard that some of the characters are also like kind of complete fabrications and inventions, maybe a little bit uh, pandering, a little bit rather than being like completely figures from history. They missed maybe an opportunity um, from what I was reading, but maybe that's that's false information. Please uh, join us on the board, you know, our uh, Game Brain group and tell me that I'm absolutely wrong. I would appreciate it. Uh, and, and yeah, it's just one of those things where those guilds unlock certain movement, but they also give you uh, kind of powers that are similar to city powers that are, are, are kind of every round occurring. So uh, that can be a huge part of the game, just giving you a little boost in, in camels or a little boost in victory points or, or that temporary boost in Jade can, can be a huge change in the way you play the game in terms of just like the kind of resource, like the dice that are required to get the resources just to do anything. Like you can feel very poor in this game, not as poor as in Marco Polo one, but you can be very, very frustrated. (laughs) Always poor in one thing at least. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the guilds to me were fascinating and, and the, and the biggest sort of new addition to the game because they sort of allow you to build your engine. So there are four different guilds, and they're all available to all players. Uh, there are there's enough for everyone to have all four guilds every game, and they're all available from the beginning. So they, you know, with one guild it, it, you need a, a one die, with another guild you need three and higher, four, five and higher, six and higher, whatever. Um, you need different dice, but but you can you can get them the you know the six die one before you get the one die one. You don't have to go and order anything, but they all allow they give you different. Uh, different incomes. So you can sort of start creating your engine, sort of what incomes you need throughout the game, what you're going to need early to help build the re- excuse me, the rest of your engine, which is going to be the places that you're dropping pagodas and having new actions and other incomes there. I just thought it was a really fun way to sort of 
design your own incomes. Uh, you decide like, okay, which, which you, you definitely need to take a guild, if not two in the first round or two. Um, and those are going to sort of be your income for, you know, the, the main thing that you're going to need more of throughout the game and seeing where other people are going, zigging where they're zagging. And I, I, I always love games where I get to be creative in the way that I build an engine that's going to, you know, hopefully spur me to victory. And it's a huge thing. In the, the the player order is a huge thing in this game because there those momentary bonuses that are are very valuable. They can be very powerful. It, you you know, there's this whole pressure. If you're not moving first, you can miss out, and that missing out can have ripples throughout the game. Like any engine builder, if you're not you're not quite on time, you're you're way behind. And so this the guilds do feel like a balancing as well as they open these routes that can be really creative. Like it's one of these things where those cities are always the same on the board and the, the contracts that are on those cities or the kind of powers in the cities change, but the routing itself is fixed. And because so many of the points come from that, you really have to be very prescient and be very thoughtful about how you're going to move about. And it can really feel like if you're not the first player to move in the route that you were going to do and get those bonuses and unlock that thing and kind of see the whole chain of, of, of interactions kind of come to pass you can feel a sudden pressure that you have to zag in a way that you never thought you were going to, uh, which can, could, could feel like your whole game is coming apart, but, but largely speaking, you, there's w- ways to work around that. And part of that is that guild mechanism. Um, so to me, what I love about this game, and I guess we'll, we'll sort of get to our feelings on it now. What, what I love about this game is the exact same thing I love about Twa. I and, and and I guess it's something that I've I've started to realize about myself in the last few years is that I really love a variable setup in a game wherein the action spaces are random every time. So I love sitting down to a game of Twa and looking at all of the action cards that are on the board and trying to figure out how I can make lemonade out of these lemons. Mm-hmm. I've said it many times on this game. I really love being handed a bag of crap and having to figure out how to make my, how, how to, how to use the bag of crap better than anybody else that I'm playing with. And Twa does that. You sit down and you look at like, okay, these are the actions available right now. Okay. Which ones sort of go together? Which are, you know, which ones are going to go with what I want to do? Okay. Well, and now, you know, somebody's going that direction. So I got to go a different one. How do I, you know, and I love that feeling. Res Arcana gives that same feeling of like, how do I take all this jumble of, of nonsense and, and make sense out of it? How do I sort of translate it into something that, that makes sense? Um, and that's my favorite part of Marco Polo too, is like the first few minutes of like, okay, looking at the board state, looking at all the actions that are out there, looking at the character powers that are available, looking at the hidden objectives in my hand <laughs> and formulating a plan and then doing my best to, you know, hold on to the side of the airplane as it takes off and try not to <laughs> fall as, you know, I try to pray that this plant, some semblance of this plan actually sticks together throughout the entire game. And I stick my landing and, you know, you're never going to have your exact plan come off, but just the feeling of getting close. And I, I kind of feel like I had in that second game we played, I feel like I'll never have as good of a game as that. Cause I feel like I stuck the landing exactly how I wanted mm. to. And it was so satisfying. Like I, I've dropped all 11 of my pagodas. I got every possible shield plus one in the game. So I got the max 40 points out of it or whatever. I, I, 
did my entire secret thing and I got most contracts and I was just like, Oh my God. I like, I think there was a lot of luck that came out of it. And, but I, I think a lot of it was also like you guys not, maybe not necessarily seeing me as, as enough of a threat, uh, which you should, shouldn't have, cause I'm usually not, but I just happened to have the right. That's not true, but yeah, you, you did an extraordinary job. So nothing should take away from that, Matt. You, you really, you did it. You did it in the complete fashion. I will say that having sort of experienced all facets of the game, my only concern is that there could potentially be a little sameness in the feeling of it. Now, obviously, there's a ton of variability in the asymmetrical powers and the board state. That is going to give you a lot of replay value. But is that level of asymmetry enough to actually shape the experience of playing the game or is the experience of playing the game, the, the, the note that is that you, that you hear when you're playing the game, is it sort of the same note every time just with a different volume, depending on the asymmetry? I'm not sure if that metaphor pans out, but I do. And I, I, let me just say my too similar regardless of the asymmetry. I, and I, I think it's not necessarily fair for us to address that from your game perspective, where you have this perfect game, you knocked out of the park, and there's a beautiful sound and feeling to that clarity of tone. Let's just keep it in your metaphor. I love that metaphor. And and when it really sings like that, you know, I can understand that you might feel like, well, I'm never going to play a game as good as that. And, and the reason why you aren't is because as we get more experience, and now as I have experienced playing with higher, like better ranked and, and kind of others where they really know the game, they are, are just even very easily looking into the future kind of decisions they're making and they're making minute connections and corrections that totally undermine game, undermine my game. You know, they know that like, okay, you need six camels, but they're, you need to buy that black dye to be able to do X, Y, and Z after. And so if I, you know, they'll leave that black dye teasing me, waiting for me to like feel that push and pull of like, well, I, I need that thing so that I can achieve anything else this turn other than movement. But if I just you know, save those camels for this kind of move I need to do. There's the, the precipice, the kind of conditions can feel very mundane in some ways. Like they're, you know, it's like, Hey, you're just off by a gold and that, that could feel like you're ruining your game. I love that. I love those kind of stakes that aren't like, there's nothing, nothing about it makes me feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that it's going to ruin my game in the kind of sense of the Marco Polo one, where you really were like, you were constantly embattled there's always other avenues to go, but you just might not win. <laughs> you, you, and and I, I dig that. I, I really think that's just fantastic how the, the stakes are high enough. The variability is, is large enough that, and the asymmetries are, are potent and you can be, but you can be very aware of them and you can deal with it. It doesn't feel impossible. You're not totally uh, playing solitaire. There's definitely an aspect of, well, I need to go first and I need to be prescient about this and all of this, this, this beautiful lattice work that you can build up that can be undone by somebody just being a little aware of what you're doing. So that, that wonderful thing that I don't know if it's as part of Twa, it, it is, it must be where, you know, it's like you're playing a psychological game along with the real one. And part of that is, is what you leave on the board. Part of it is what you take. Part of that is that kind of like crossing your fingers and hoping they don't look you know, and maybe this is a lot easier that we're playing on BGA right now where, you know, you can't, they can't watch you staring at that space that if anyone takes your whole turn is undone. So you're just like burning a hole in it, just hoping that nobody plays in that power that just came up. That's only going to be for the, there for this round. And if you could just get there, everything would really come into clarity. It's fun. That's just fun. Um, 
Um, let's, uh, yeah, let's briefly talk about this in comparison to Marco Polo One and an attempt. I, I know you are not a game collector, but I, I think you could speak to this. It, it, is do you need to own both? Are they two different experiences? Would you recommend this to someone who didn't like the first one? Uh, does this replace the first one? What, as as people who listen to our podcast, we're often looking for recommendations on game to buy. Where, where does this one fall in relation to the first one and in relation to medium weight euros in general? Yeah. I, so this is the big caveat. I don't represent the some of the nature of this game group because this game has been discussed. I know Tom has talked about this game and he loves Marco Polo 1 and he just isn't feeling Marco Polo 2. For me, it's the exact opposite. Uh, I, I love what this has achieved and Marco Polo 2 felt so punitive and so petty at times and and kind of those wild swings of asymmetry, although planable and like interesting in their own regard, I, I could do with like 45 minutes less of game pondering over things. It, it This game is is like... Is so efficient in the way it's now. Certainly, one of the aspects I don't like about this game is there's a bit of hate drafting. Like I am fourth player, and I am drafting first, and I know that if I pick this character who's highly ranked, well, I'm not going to be able to make this character sing because of all the things on the board that they that other people can mitigate. But I need to draft it because the person who's in second or third or first, if they got it, they would totally wipe me out. I dislike that. Now, of course, Marco Polo 1 doesn't have as much of that because you, there's a lot more secrecy in terms of, you know, like the conditions and it isn't as much of a shared aspect to which you can you can kind of achieve your victory. It's, it's very much your own spaces. It's certainly regarded on the same kind of precipice of being someplace first, but just felt different. Um, and I love how even-handed this game can feel, even with those asymmetries. And, and reading the board really feels like reading old scrolls. I just dig that. But I do think to me, it really edges it out by just the fact that the the replayability without having a bunch of wild different asymmetrical powers, like maybe Marco Polo one, there was like 11 different asymmetrical powers or whatever it was with the expansions. So it's like, Oh, these are all very different games. And they, maybe that's where the replay comes from. For me, it's just those little changes and, and the kind of the better ways you can achieve uh, using the, the limited uh, asymmetries that are there. And, but maybe that includes not picking certain characters that just don't sing with your play style. And that maybe is a bummer right there, right? Like certain characters you just like never want to play and you might be stuck with. So to me, Marco Polo as a universe Mm -hmm. is a staple of medium weight heroes. To me, it's, uh, it would be on the Mount Rushmore of, of medium weight heroes for me. Um, I love the first one. It's, it's it's in my top 10. I believe it might be in my top five games of all time. Um, I mean, I I absolutely adore uh, dice worker placement games. And uh, this, Teotihuacan, Twa, Coimbra, those are those are my jam. And obviously, Lorenzo El Magnifico, the, you know, which is maybe my favorite game of all time uh, with Twa. Th- those are my jam. And... So, and Marco Polo is as good as it gets. Um, that being said, the first one, uh, yes, is long. I do really enjoy the expansion, but it makes it longer. Agents mm-hmm. of Venice. Um, it was, uh, it felt unbalanced, which is f- is fine for me because um, if we we can take the you know Mercator or whatever the, the, the that guy <laughs> who was a little too strong, if if we're all playing, we just take him out. But 
if there's a new player at the table, it's a great balancer. It's a great give that person to the new player mm-hmm. and it's going to make them competitive all of a sudden because they have a slightly overpowered character compared to everybody else. Um, so I don't mind those so quote unquote broken characters because they're great to give to newer players to make it a more competitive game. Mm-hmm. Um, this to me is at its essence, just more fun. Um and I know Tom, I'm not going to speak for Tom, but I, I know he's gone on record saying that he felt, at least after some initial plays, that the first game was tighter and this was looser. Uh, when I tell you that in one game I did, I, I won every aspect of the game, uh, obviously it's hard to disagree with that. But the counterpoint to that is, is it uh, like many great games, uh, in initial plays, when you are new at it, are the uh, easy are there strategies that are easier than others that seem like the path of least resistance? But the better that we get at the game, the more a meta creates. In fact, the tighter the game becomes when we all learn how to counter those types of things, and that there are in fact much better ways. And those are those seemingly simple strategic paths at first are actually not only. Uh, not as simple, simpler than we thought, but in fact, not as effective as other strategies. Can I, and can I just, just highlight that a little bit? Like when we were initially playing for us, uh, the Jade specialist, Abba Basu was seemingly wildly powerful. Get all these points from Jade, just, you know, collect some contracts. It's a whole different game, of course, contracts. And so as they're collecting contracts, they're also getting points. It seems undeniable how powerful this is. But in playing more and more, Malin and Tai and Chin, who don't necessarily seem so powerful, they're the twins that kind of have two movements, yeah. don't really have that many other powers at play. They're, they do get some bonuses, and they kind of double up on their city uh, city individual. Yeah, they, drop, they drop twice as many pagodas. But they don't necessarily. It depends how you move, right? right. It's like if you, it's like they they can if you if you move them move them properly. But just over time, it's a little bit more of a nuanced play. But they win so much more. Yeah, you just see it again yeah. and again. And it's like okay, well. You know, there is there is that kind of beginning play and the kind of raw power thing that some of these characters have. And then there's the kind of maybe uh, levels and strategies that I'm sure existed in the first Marco Polo and certainly did. I've experienced that, but I just think there's a little bit more here. Uh, and that maybe that that looseness just speaks to how many different ways you can achieve it. Yeah, my, my, my instinct is that there's potentially more strategic depth here than there even is in the first one. Um and more room for a meta to be created and a more balanced overall game in general. Combine that with the fact that you have to play the entirety of the game in order to be competitive. You 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 have to move. You have to deal with contracts. You have to worry about Jade. You have to think about shields. You have to think about guilds. You can't ignore entire swaths of the game like you could in the first one. Mm-hmm. Combine that with the fact that it plays definitely faster Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a genuine two-hour game, even at four. Combine that with the fact that it's a more—it's a simpler game to teach, no less complicated, but simpler to teach, I believe, than the first one. Combine that with the fact that it's just genuinely more fun, I believe, because you are doing more. There are more satisfying super turns, combo turns, turns where you get rewarded for doing things. And I I kind of think there's no argument to be made that this isn't an improvement upon the first one. Remember I said it's one of the first one was in my top 5 games of all time. So that's 
a huge compliment uh, and not a uh, not a diss on the first game. I, I I cannot I can't really imagine something that could come up in future games that make me say this is worse. Now, I also have zero plans to sell or get rid of Marco Polo one. I, I still love it to me now. This is like a different age of steam map. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, granted each one's going to cost you 50 bucks. So those are expensive age of steam maps, but to me, there's enough difference, enough of a different feel. And, you know, we, uh, there's a wonderful expansion along with it that I already own. I, I really enjoy playing that. It adds another element to the game. We don't have an expansion for this one yet. So to me, there is still, these are both games that are staying in my collection very safely for a long time. And I think uh, while I'll probably bring two out more often than one, I this playing two has actually made me really kind of want to go play one again. Like it's it's made me, you know, miss certain parts of that as well. So, I, I mean, I would love if there was a Lorenzo Il Magnifico 2. I would love if there was a Coimbra 2. Like I'm, I guess there kind of is an alma mater, but, you know. Well, I, real spiritual successors that don't try to do the exact same thing as the first. Yeah, and aren't just. Yeah. 2.0s. I don't think this is Marco Polo 2.0, even though it's called Marco Polo 2. I think this is a new game that uses familiar uh, mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And evolves them and changes it. And the one worry that I have, and this is something that's an aside, but I think there's a few more exceptions and a few more edge cases in this game, partially because there are so many things happening at a given time. You're taking these resources, you're getting this contract, you're getting this bonus jade. I worry that in in a situation that we're looking for a quick rip rip stop game. This this could be a little have some problems with backsies, which are my bane. And and there's kind of moments where somebody forgets to to do something that then they realize the next turn, oh, that was so critical. I was supposed to get this jade and was gonna do this thing. This game could be fraught with some of that, but I mean that's true of every game. And BGA solves some of that. Yeah. You know, and, a game with super combo turns is gonna right. have for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, to me this is if you're a medium to heavyweight Euro gamer, you own this game. I, I don't know how else to say it. To me, this is, you know, a staple in, in you know, I mean, it, look, if you, if, if somehow you love medium and heavyweight to heavyweight Euros, but you hate dice worker placement, then yeah, this probably isn't for you, but I, <laughs> I feel like that's a, a very specific person that maybe doesn't even exist. They hate dice. They just hate it. They, you know, and this game, actually, one other thing I'd mention is that the first game, the higher the dice number, pretty much always better. Just a very, a very occasionally you didn't want to put down the high die because you had to pay for it. But almost everything was predicated on the higher the die, the better the die, the better the resources. Now you want those low dice, especially some of the characters you're playing. You're just praying to have ones. Three are rough. Those threes are what you don't want most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. They're not quite, they're not quite the fours that give you these kind of certain the higher dice usually get you better things, but if you're not the first person in, you're going to have to pay six bucks to go there. Whereas you can, a lot of places still do good things on ones and not going there first is not a huge penalty to just pay a dollar to go there. And you can go there. You can wait till it's your last action and do mm-hmm. it. And there's no rush to get there ahead of other people. So totally part of the evolution of this game really does feel like there was some thought given to all these aspects. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Any final thoughts for you? Would you would, would this be in uh, in your short list of favorite games? I mean, right now it is. I definitely find myself like a little bit spread out. Uh, I've I've been loving it. I've been loving the pickup aspect. I like playing with strangers currently, which is something I was really intimidated about on BGA or anywhere. I love our game group. I love our meta in terms of 
you know, we're not, not overly mean. There's not, not, you know, not too much gatekeeping or anything. And, and people on BGA can be a little bit candid, a little bit free, but generally are polite. Um, but I'd love how this game plays out. And even when I'm losing, I still feel like I'm effectively in it. I still feel like I'm doing stuff. And I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I would really put this high up there for me right now. And uh, I'm hoping to see more of these style of games as well. You know, people lifting. We talk about sometimes like how certain games kind of become hot for a while, certain mechanics, you know, become hot. And uh, I would love to see more of that, see more of this. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that is our review of Marco Polo 2 in the service of the con. And it's very hard not to play this game and at some point scream con. In fact, I would say it's impossible. <laughs> Alfred, shall we move on to our topic, how to host a game night? Will you tee this one up for us, Alfred? Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll admit for all of my uh, bluster about proper etiquette and being um, a rules lawyer, I am the serial freeloader of this group. I think Matt, Maddie and Tom, uh, such gracious hosts, uh, can, can point on me as being maybe sometimes the, the worst of it. Um, I've been enjoying game nights with both of y'all for years. And I think I've brought snacks once. I, I have packed up a game only after Tom has eventually started to chide me for it. I mean, hey, I, I used to make a little bit of a trek across, across the city, not as much as others who would stick around. Um, I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm not trying to just game and be out, but I, I wouldn't always do all the things. And it's not only the guilt of that, that gives me the kind of idea for today, but also because I really feel like you and and Tom are so great and gracious about creating an environment that's conducive towards loving the games. And that's so the reason why I adore board gaming is, is, I mean, the games themselves speak loudly, but it's the, the environment that you both have, have conjured that allowed me to, to kind of be myself uh, and to, to really um, recognize these individuals that make up our board game group. So I love it. And I wanted to then reduce all of that grandiose thought down to what snacks we were eating. <laughs> that's the real magic. Let's, let's... Well, okay, let me speak to what you said. So first of all, I, I put together a, a list of 10 tips for anyone attending a game night. And we'll, we'll get into that in a second. And, and some of them are a little silly and not totally but uh you you don't have to bring you look you everybody brings something to the game night and and what you bring is you are our rules lawyer you you take some of that pressure off of tom and i to track the game state we know i i always know that at the end of a teach if you don't have any questions for me you got it and you know the teach and you then become sort of the the teacher's assistant for the rest of the game, even sometimes teaching the teacher to make sure that people continue to follow the rules, and so that we have a uh, a fair and correct game as we go on. Which is whenever I know that you're at the table, that that gives me a sense of relief, knowing that uh, if something important is missed, uh, if I don't catch it, Alfred will, and that and that is you know that that is your role, and that is the reason you haven't been kicked out of the group yet. Even <laughs> snacks i mean i moved i moved across the country out of shame for my lack of snacks and or beverages but um uh so so yeah let's before we get into my top 10 lists for people attending a game night let us talk about appropriate snacks to bring 
to game night. God, I wish I had a drop for this. Like snacks, snacks on the table. I mean, snacks I bring it working. Yeah. <laughs> snack that you should eat. Uh, okay. I don't know. I mean, uh, Albert, t- let, tell me what are good board game snacks? Okay. So part of the reason why snacks are so much in my mind is because I'm sitting here playing BGA, reaching for something to not only fidget with, like be it, you know, the random stuff that's on my desk that's just littering the space, but I, it also is like, you know, the screen itself is such a weird arbiter of, of game, right? And and really, like when we have the game board game set out, there's there's a lot of rules that come up because of the nature of things. And, you know, part of it is that, you know, two hours into a game, your mind is flagging. You are suffering. And either you need the libation of a good beverage or you need a snack to do the work that blood sugar can. And, and Dimitri, thank goodness you are still alive in our gaming group. I am so sorry at times for what we put you through. Um, <laughs> being blood sugar dependent as, as you can be. Um, I will say there's two cardinal rules for me and snacks that I've seen, seen brought. And those rules get broken all the time. Again, you and Tom have slightly different styles about it and you were both gracious. But one of the rules is that it, it must not be cheesy. It mu- must not be it must not have things that come off in your hand and then can be transferred to the board. And then the second rule is it must not be drippy. Mm. Right. So those two things, it's so funny because you would think that those don't sound that palatable, but there are many snacks that do that thing of sadly being very cheesy or being very like, you know, rubbing off and dripping on things. And so salsa's out like cheesy puffs are out. Chips in general. Yeah. Chips are not a board game friendly snack because of dust and residue and chip grease. Uh, you said we want no, just like, just like our euros. We want a dry theme. We want like the the least salted pretzel. You know, yeah. so like that is that, that's a, so a pretzel is a perfect game night snack. Mixed nuts, yeah. Nuts are also good unless, but you don't want beer nuts or. You know, powder coated nuts of any sort. Nope. Nuts and pretzels are perfect. You know what? What else is perfect? Popcorn is perfect. Thank you, Alfred. But, um, but unflavored, not buttered popcorn. Don't flavored. be, you're not at a movie night. Don't be ridiculous. Come on, calm down. Also, people would often, people often think this is bad, but it's great. Chocolate covered things are fine as long as the temperature is controlled in the room. Because chocolate. Not going to melt in your hand unless it's 100 degrees in there. We're always popping little delicious chocolate treats in our mouths as we're playing games. I like mean, a little handful handful of Trader Joe's chocolate-covered miniature peanut butter cups. Fantastic. Throw five in your mouth. Take your turn. Blood sugar. And I've talked about this before. Situational awareness. You're at a hot – you're in like an enclosed room full of a bunch of sweaty, sweaty people. Uh, don't, yeah, don't offer up and around, especially over the game board what will eventually raise you the ire and not be invited back. That's, that's the ultimate goal of being a good uh, attendee at a game night. As I have learned is just the willingness and urge to not be uh, ostracized. Um, Canned canned beverages, safer than bottled beverages, a bottle of beer, very easy to knock over a can of beer. Not as easy. Also just put it on the floor next to you. If you can. Yeah, don't even bring it to the board. I think I think you and Tom uh, have have undergone a little bit of fit, like moving around that space of thinking. Like, well, sometimes maybe if it's like a strong coaster, your coaster game is very strong. Um, that kind of thing of those plastic little ways of holding not only chits and and kind of meeples, but also holding your snacks. Like, 
really multi-use. You've thought it out. You've done, you had your fair share of game nights. Uh, I do think also it's important to to think in this kind of COVID reality that we will exist in the future. But this is kind of true. Like it's nice to have snacks for everyone that are maybe away from the board game table that people can take a break as if it was a long poker night. You, you know, you, you kind of, you're moving away from the board to, to do your heavier snacking, but consider maybe to having your personal snacks that are like in your sweet spot that, that don't break any of these cardinal rules, but are like work for you and your particular picadillos. I remember once bringing, um, not the star of the show, this kind of like exploded puff pea protein snacks, uh, not popular with others, maybe not the best snack. Uh, I felt, I felt a little, little out in the game group, you know, but you got to go through that. You got a learning curve. You got to do it. Um, don't bring a, sne- a stinky snack. Yeah. Don't bring your weird, gross-smelling, like uh, jerkies, or your uh, your weird kale chips that stink. Yeah, that's, I've done that before. Uh, can I can I single out one person in our game group and not and just because I want to apologize in advance and then berate them, but only in the kind of way that we 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 do love each other. We have a, a, a kind of a, a, a sisterhood of the traveling pants completely. That's us. So, Jesse, when you bring the complete bowl of Chipotle, <laughs> the whole thing, hey, we're all guilty of that. We all need our protos to powerly, efficient, efficiently move our brain. Um, but I think that that's just one of those things. Just like, hey, this is accepted. This is part of us. This is us well, in, our, in our imperfectness. I think that will lead us perfectly into my yeah. top 10 tips. Mm. on how to attend a game night. These are not tips for hosting a game night. No, nay. These are tips for attending a game night. Are you ready for these, Alfred? And I would love your opinion on these as we go. Yes. If you if you are guilty of one of these, I would appreciate if you said... Shame. <laughs> shame. Silently raising my hand. Shame. Yes. But it will say uh, shame. Okay. Number one. And by the way, Game night starts before game night starts. This one is don't text in advance and ask what games are being played or who is attending. So true. That's rude. That's a rude question to the person who is planning because the subtext of that question is I'm still deciding if I want to come. Yeah. And it's dependent on what's being played or even worse, who's attending? A, don't put me in that position where I have to decide what we're playing yet, because by the way, the answer is always going to be the same. Not totally sure yet. We'll all decide as a group. Or a couple games on the table tonight, we'll figure out we're playing together. The other answer is, I have no idea who's coming, because most of you jerks always forget to RSVP. Or, I mean, I will say this too. I know some of that new hotness that you guys are receiving and you take 40 minutes to set it up. And for someone to be like, well, I know you need four players to play this, but I'm not really down or I don't really know about this person. Suddenly that 40 minutes becomes what? Like, or, you know, hours sometimes to set up some of these games to break them all out. I've seen you do it many a time. And that leads to my second point. But I just briefly want to say, this, these are all tips for, for a group that loves each other and that is comfortable with each other. Obviously, if you are new to the group or new to a group and you have issues with certain people in the group, then you should ask if they're going to be there. Or if you are a member of the group who particularly dislikes certain genres of games that are played at that group, 
you should ask. I'm talking about a group that is happy to come together every week and has been doing so for a long time and is comfortable with the people there and is aware of what is played. In that scenario, I still find it rude to ask who is coming and what games are being played because you have joined this game night and with that comes a certain level of trust mm-hmm. and that feels like a, uh, uh, a, a an attack on that trust when I am being forced to convince you to show up to a game night that you've been coming to for years. Or the one that you've already agreed to come to. I, I get it. Some nights, some nights you're just going to miss, but you've already told them that that you're coming or not. And that should be the only real binary that's involved here. Every rule I'm going to give you does not apply to new players at a new game night. These are only for a, a, a set group where everybody knows the rules and everybody's coming. Everybody's comfortable with each other. Rule number two, be okay with what game is being played. That's part of the social contract you have agreed to in joining a game new. Some nights you're going to show up and you're not going to be in love with the game that's being played. Now, a good host will sort of pick up on that and maybe try to steer you towards a game you'll enjoy more. But sometimes the game that you're showing up to, the person like Alfred has said, has spent 40 minutes setting up a game and has spent four hours learning to play it and has been waiting all week to play this game and spent $60 on it and got a babysitter and did all this stuff. And you've showed up. And the least you can do is sit down and play it. I will say shame here. And Maddie, I think you have to say shame too. Because (laughs) maybe, maybe the game that's on the table has a hidden trader mechanic and you know you are in for an hour of well, somewhat meaningless dialogue that is circular. and But you know what? At the same time, at the end of it, you will have stories to tell your your children, potentially, if, maybe, if that's maybe. the kind of stories you tell your children. But um, Now, look, I, I say this every time. When I show up to Tom's game night, I expect we will be playing Avalon. Yes. That doesn't mean I'm not going to complain about it, but I'm not going to. No, but our complaining about it, I would like to think is part of our meta. That is part of the meta. We are setting up that we are good people who hate being liars, and therefore we are not liar, liar pants who enjoy lying. Just saying. Well, just look. If, if anybody doesn't enjoy my complaining about it, I promise they are enjoying it more than I'm enjoying playing Avalon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Next up, bring a snack or a beverage if you feel like eating snacks or beverages. Shame. If you are it, <laughs> hit the shame for you there. If you are arriving at game night and thinking, "Gosh, I would love to snack on an old snackaroo or drink down a cold bevy," you should have one in your hand when you walked in the door and enough to share with others. Away Simple from the table. That. Away from the table. Yeah. Simple as that. If there's a game that you really want to play, buy it. And come ready to teach it. Mm. How about them apples? How about them apples? Don't talk during the teach. Yeah, that's a big one. And don't look at your phone during the teach. Shame. Someone spent a couple hours. <laughs> Shame. Someone spent Shame. hours learning it. Shame. Don't make them teach it twice. Okay. Don't blame the host. If you didn't hear a rule or if a rule wasn't perfectly taught and it caused you 
to make a mistake in the game. We're doing our best. I do find it really interesting that the learning game thing is, yeah. Yeah. The the learning game thing is a, is a real deal thing and it's a whole different kind of way of playing. We have to embrace that. It's beautiful, but you're not going to have your perfect game unless you're Maddie and you you hit a home run first time. time. Not very smart and don't pay attention to me. (laughs) I love dinner, Alfred. Alfred, do you love dinner? I eat it every day. Almost. Alfred, do you love game night? I yes, yes, Maddie, so much. I, I miss it so much. And I love game night. Don't combine them. <laughs> Keep them separate events. Eat your dinner before you come to game night. Unless you're but, playing, unless you're serious about Monopoly at McDonald's, then. But if you have to eat dinner at game night, make it Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> make it a bowl. Make it something simple and eat it quickly and get it off the table. As fast as you can. Don't bring a big old sloppy sandwich. Don't bring soup. (laughs) I would bring Zanku chicken to your game night because it was around the corner. And I feel bad about it. That's a shame. That's a shame right there. But also at the same time, Zanku, those of you who know, Zanku chicken in LA is an institution. It is delicious. And it is near Maddie's office. So that trifecta. um, Yeah, I, I, yeah, I admit it. If there are new people at the game night, sometimes you'll show up at the game night. Someone has a friend in from out of town. Happens a lot at Tom's game night. Sometimes someone uh, wanted to come and check it out. Check out your game night. It's not the usual 10 people. You got a new person there. Go ahead and tone down your aggressive camaraderie with each other. Let's don't, don't make it feel like a fraternity. Don't, you know, that's not the night for all the mean inside jokes. That's a night to sell the group to a newcomer and make it seem fun. So that's not the night where we're all calling each other names because we can and we love each other. That's the night where we don't do that. And we're friendly and make it feel more welcoming. It's such a huge part of the game. Just camaraderie in general of just being like getting rid of the gatekeeping of any kind, really seeing the person in front of you rather than the kind of the the persona that they're playing and just understanding that these are all individuals. We all love, love these game spaces. And it's just better when there's more of us. hundred percent. Number nine. I'm going to go ahead and just start this sound now. Shame. 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 Don't clean up the board game when it's over. Shame. Stick around. Shame. Put it in the box. Put Shame. Get the baggie. Put all your little pieces in the baggie. Shame. Put it back in the box. Now, small (laughs) caveat for that. If the person is me and has a very specific way they want their game put back, don't try to put it back. If the person says, you know what? I got this. Listen to them Mm -hmm. because they will have an anxiety attack if you put the things in the wrong thing. And uh, yeah, you you hit all the shames and I deserve more of them because I bail on game nights like like somebody disappearing in a a smoke bomb, like a ninja. Yeah. Become one of my favorite parts of game night is now when you leave early because it's one of the biggest laughs I have all night. Now, last one. 
And I'm going to say this is my number one rule. My number, this is more important than all the other ones. If you only remember one, this is the one. Don't have AP in a learning game. Yeah. My goodness. Take your turn. Play inefficiently. Make a mistake. Let's learn the game. Let's not try to win. Let's not try to min-max. Let's not try to destroy. Let's not try to have a perfect game. It's a learning game. Let's get the learning game under our belt. And then let's have a little AP in the next game. I'll forgive it. But in a learning game, it's it's rude. It's Everything it all has an asterisk next to it. Every learning game is not the game. We don't that doesn't you know count in the kind of global point tally. Sure, it's it it feels good to win. It also feels good to present a good challenge to others. They feel like they've earned it. You've earned it. But we're all learning. We're all just getting the, the swing of it. The the you know, just push the buttons. See what happens. Don't make me. It, 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 in fact, it, it, it makes it harder for everyone else to learn the game because you're disrupting their flow. Yeah. And you know, it isn't like we're going to review it after one play anyways. So just a little shame there too, probably at times, but we are going to set, we are shame. going to come up with, we are going to come up with opinions shame. and thoughts and feelings. And if, if shame. you're bending that space to be like unwieldy, then it's, we're going to have negative feelings about it. Partially just because somebody wasn't letting the game flow. Right. So. I'm going to now stop my insanely patronizing and uh, confrontational <laughs> tone that I kept throughout that. I hope that you know that that was uh, done with love and jovialness. Uh, we are game night that we have with our group when we have it again and when we've had it in the past. I, I would describe as wildly positive and loving. Oh, gosh. And yes. Kind. Uh, and so... Um, no, I, I would wilt under the power of the sun so quickly if there was actually a mean bone in anyone's body at that game night. I wouldn't go. I have, uh, I have enforced zero of these rules over 10 years, and I will continue to enforce zero of these rules in the next 10 years. But it is still fun to say them aloud. And you make a better, you make a better, more gracious attendee. You will be invited back to game nights. You will be popular. It will be wildly popular if you can just do even half of these, I'm sure. Like, they're just tips, you know? Don't worry about them. Uh, I got some game sommelier questions. You want to do them? Let's do it. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with my mom, my dad, my boo. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far as my 50th player of Agricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. Boom. We got a bunch today. People listen to the call. The Bat Signal went up and Batmans have responded. Uh, hey, Game Brain crew, Maddie and Tom. First off, I love, love, love the podcast. It's the only gaming podcast that I listen to on a weekly basis and binged from the first episode. As an African-American gamer, relatively new to the hobby, it is great to hear from so many diverse and interesting voices represented in your game group. While I have a growing interest in the heavier games discussed on the pod, my own three-person group usually plays medium to medium heavyweight multiplayer solitaire Euro games with low interactivity. Mm. One of our players prefers to be able to work on her own game 
without others attacking her and interrupting her flow. Although I have been hungry for more interactive and cutthroat games, I'm more about preserving the game group, so I've gone with the path of least resistance, as does her husband. Recently, an enthusiastic non-board gamer friend of mine who avidly plays first-person shooters and has been equally isolated in the days of COVID requested to join our group on a face-masked night, we were playing Terraforming Mars, our favorite board game. Yes, we've all been tested and were negative, unlike our president. Thank you. Uh, while the game was a bit heavy for his entry level, he still very much enjoyed it. However, he expressed that he preferred more interaction where he could attack his opponents, i.e. us. So separately from the group, I introduced him to Dominion with its attack cards, and he loved it. Even ordered the game for himself along with four expansions. So my question is this. Are there any light to medium, weight, highly interactive, attacking games that would keep the new player engaged while not being too cutthroat and mean to turn off our multiplayer solitaire gamer. I'm thinking Catan might be one option, but I've never actually played it myself. I know that I'm asking for two completely different things, but I'm sure that the sommelier can help me. Thanks again for the dope podcast, Don Leap. Well, thank you so much for your question. Um, what a lovely email and thank you for uh, the praise. I appreciate it as does the whole group. Um, I've definitely got some ideas here. Alfred, you got anything off the top of your head? It's It seems like a kind of a mythical beast he is describing, um, or they're describing. And uh, I I know you have more insight into this. You you and your considerable collection probably could summon more. I, I also like the less attacky games. Um, yeah. But that being said, to that mixture is kind of mythical. What do you think, Matty? Well, I, look, if Catan is on the table, I would instantly replace it with Concordia. Yes. Um, yes, I yes. think Concordia is a perfect entryway Euro that still will bring complete and total enjoyment to the uh, the more medium to have, uh, medium heavyweight gamers at your table. I don't think it is cutthroat enough to dissuade your non-cutthroat player, but I do think there is enough elbows to it for your attacky player. Um, you aren't necessarily attacking other people in the game, but you are fighting over uh, locations and um, important uh, resources. It is also very enjoyable uh, when you force somebody else to produce where you have more uh, houses than them. Um, there are some very fun sort of cutthroat things. You're fighting over the cards, uh, which are your entire way of scoring points. It's also just a perfect, beautiful game that should be in everyone's collection. Um, but I think it, it plays at all your player counts. I would say, though, I also wanted to recommend, I know you said you you, you usually have a three-player group, um, but now you have four. But if, perchance, one night uh, your non-attacking player wasn't there and it was two of you and the attacking player, I would highly recommend Three Kingdoms, which is a really interesting three-player only game um, that is a really fun sort of Euro war game hybrid that I think you would really enjoy. A couple others I'll just rattle off. Fort, um, if you like Dominion and attacking games, uh, I think Fort is really fun. Taverns of Typhenthal, I also is one of my favorite deck builders. Um, and then a couple little just quickies here. I think A Wonderful World, uh, or uh, Seven Wonders, which is very similar, could be interesting. Glenmore 2 as well, because it's very good with four. Um, Bus and Iris Gage are two sort of fast, simplistic heroes with a lot of elbows that I don't think will feel too wary mm -hmm. to your non-cutthroat uh, player. And lastly, if you want something a little more thematic, I think Marvel Villainous um, 
is a fun sort of multiplayer solitaire game that has a aggressive marvel theme that might uh, excite your first-person shooter. Do you think there's any chance that they would enjoy a game where they're doing a co-op kind of game? I mean, you know, some of these games where there's one, there's kind of some asymmetries where one person's playing the more attacky character, one's playing more the spellcaster, the kind of healer archetype. Yeah, there's, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I'm not, it doesn't sound like they're like the Gloomhaven or maybe, I mean, maybe like a one versus many kind of a thing or a hidden deduction thing like uh, Fury of Dracula could be interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe. I hope we've got some good options for you there and definitely, um, uh, let me know how it goes, please. And I uh, appreciate the email. Next up. Hi, y'all. Love the show. Thanks for all your hard work. I'm thinking this is probably a Matthew question. Looking for something akin to Twilight Struggle, but for a solo player. Mm. Any ideas? Thanks a million. Dave. Can we have a little kick of the solo mode theme song? Just like, boof. <laughs> I'll give it to you if you really want. No, no, it's okay. Solo mode is the solo mode. probably blew out somebody's ears with that one. Um, <laughs> Well, the first thing off the top of my head are coin games. Coin games being games like Falling Sky, Cuba Libre, Liberty or Death, or the latest All Bridges Burning, which I hear is great as a solo game. Coin games play really well as solo games. They all come with very interesting and complicated solo modes, but they will they will give you a Twilight Struggle-esque experience. I would also recommend other sort of GMT war games. There's a game called Navajo Wars, which is specifically just a solo game. Um, there's a game by Holland Spiel called Agricola, not to be confused with the farming simulator. This one is uh, Agricola, the uh, conqueror of Britain. Uh, and that is a solo only game that has some similarities to Twilight Struggle, at least in terms of um, conquering sections of a map. Um but yeah, I, I think also, I mean, I always recommend uh, Nemo's War 2nd Edition as a fantastic solo-only game. Um, it has, I don't know if it, it's hard, nothing really plays like Twilight Struggle, which is interesting. But mm-hmm. um, I think it would give you a similar experience. And it, it's a thinky, really interesting having to worry about all these different sections of the map and not taking your eye off uh, any of the many balls you're attempting to juggle, which is very similar to the issues you have to face in Twilight Struggle. So hopefully that answers your question, Dave. Next up, uh, this is uh, from Zach. Hi, everyone. My birthday was recently, and I'm thinking of picking up a heavy euro as a gift for myself. A group favorite and mine is Brass Birmingham. Good taste. We love the interactivity and economic focus. Other games we love are Agricola, Irish Gage, and Gaia Project. You have great taste. Some people, some possible contenders are Age of Steam, The Hob, Food Chain Magnet, or something by Vital Lacerda, having never had a chance to play one games but i am of course welcome to anything you suggest huge fan of the pod still keen on merch if only to help support and thank you in these difficult times keep up the great word zach off the top of your dome alfred anything i mean to carry on to carry on to carry on to carry on just because especially at, no matter what expansion you get you're playing a deep game that requires so much thought thinky wonderful conundrum i i like that game i never played the oh no i played it once what was that the way to my heart i love to carry on and that was on my list as well to carry on the two things that jumped to my mind immediately were to carry on and barrage uh you can't go wrong by the way with any game that you listed age of steam laha food chain magnet or a game by vital Assart is fantastic i'd recommend on mars for vital just because it, to me it's the newest most exciting but i think it's also potentially his most interesting 
Um, what about more 18xx? Why not just jump in the like you know different but deep? I mean, if you're looking for interactivity and economic focus, you cannot beat 18xx. And uh, you know, two weeks ago, Jennifer and I reviewed 18 Chesapeake, which is definitely the best current entry point into the genre. Um, those are all fantastic examples. Um, we got one more. I think we got time for it. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Love the show. Listen to every one of the episodes. I'm a recent game brainer and have been trying to get people into the hobby with little success. My wife and I like playing the escape room type board games. I've been trying to get her into others, but have a difficult time figuring out which game to get to help her and others. Once this pandemic ends into the hobby a little more below his list of games I own and a rough number of plays. He then lists a whole bunch of games, uh, mostly games, but but lots of great games in there. Uh, this kind of gives you an idea of what we like. Now for my next purchase, I'm kind of stuck. I was thinking Arkham Horror LCG or Mansion of Madness. Thoughts, or do you think I should try something else? Alfred, any uh, anything off the top of your head? Yeah, Mansion of Madness. Uh, what was some of the app activity going on with some of those? Obviously, really interesting technologically if you have that uh, available to you. Um, what a list of games. And I like how Wingspan's on there. I like how, you know, some of the, I just think they're ready for something a little bit more. I think maybe that, that's part of it is they're playing such like Settlers of Catan and these things, you know, like such a smattering. I think it's time, time to take it up a notch, maybe. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, of the games he seems interested in, I definitely think Manchester Madness 2.0 is great. I, I really like, as I've said before, I like the Fantasy Flight app based mm-hmm. sort of ipad dm games they have dungeon master kind of games um it's really just a matter of of what um genre you like i mean they've got three really strong ones and you know if you if you want star wars they've got imperial struggle if you want lord of the rings they've got journeys of middle earth and if you like cthulhu mythos they've got uh mansions of madness um uh mansions of madness and <clears throat> excuse me um uh, Journeys of Middle Earth being the, the most polished, maybe Journeys of Middle Earth being the most polished of all, but they're all great. Um, and if that's something that sounds fun to you, they it's a really fun experience. And, and I think uh, it's the best use of technology in a board game yet. Um, Pan Am is a really good, uh, fun two-player Euro that uh, is really cheap and can be bought at Target. And I, I, I definitely think that would fit into your wheelhouse and um, your weight of games that you're enjoying. And last, I'd recommend Architects of the West Kingdom, which may be the tiniest step up, um, but but it's probably akin to Everdell, which is on your list. I mean, you have Terraforming Mars on your list too, which is pretty heavy. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you could definitely look into Architects of the West Kingdom along with the um, Artisans expansion, and I think you would enjoy that as well. Um, yeah, other than Viticulture, you seem to be a little light. Viticulture and Everdell, you seem to be a little light on uh, worker placement games. And so I think um, Architects is a great entry into that as well. Excellent. That's it. That's our questions. Um, we burned through all of them. That was dumb. Send me some more <laughs> questions. <laughs> Can I make one more recommendation? Uh, just something that I've we've talked about before. We have a playlist somewhere deep in the in the kind of uh, board game group uh, area where we did an original game being game brain group uh, playlist for your game night. We've made a new one. I've made a new one, um, and it's just as another maybe. Just from our, our special topic of this week uh, of something that maybe could be in the background, but this one is songs, uh, tracks for tracks and songs for stocks. It's kind of for your train game, 18XX explorations. I and love it. 
And yeah, we'll be posting that uh, by the time that this podcast goes live, we will be posting up a link. Alfred makes the best mixes to be played at your game night. And he, he, he makes them specific to the genre of game. And, it, and this 18xx one is a special treat uh, and, can, and, and works for any train game, really, or any game night. It's wonderful music to have on in the background that's uh, enjoyable and toe tapping, but not uh, too obtrusive and, and lyric laden. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we will post that on uh, on all of our socials, on Twitter and the Facebook group and everywhere else. Um, but yeah, Alfred, always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I uh, Let's try to get on BGA more. I'm going to teach you Barrage this week. We're going to work it out. I love it. That's Thank you so much. And it's really, really nice to be able to come back and talk to you and to everyone that's listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Alfred. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as our co-host this week. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com, on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends online, or virtually make some friends with games. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.